With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Our guest on Around the Coin today is Tyler Spaulding. He's the co-founder and CEO of Flexa. Flexa is a cryptocurrency payment network making real-world payments more efficient, accessible, and affordable to everyone. Tyler has been founding and investing in various blockchain projects since 2011. Previously, he was the CTO of Raise.com and the co-founder of two e-commerce startups. He was an engineering lead at the United Space Alliance, U.S. Air Force, NASA's space shuttle program, and he holds two master's degrees from MIT and UIUC. Super smart guy. Flexa is a versatile digital payments platform offering several key features. Uh, they're building a point of sale integration layer. And we talked about how they're doing that, what goes into that process. It's an extremely long-term vision to integrate the existing point of sales that all the merchants have across the country and the world into crypto. So any crypto wallet can uh, integrate with those point of sales. This project is really special because if and when it's fully successful, a crypto wallet can directly integrate with a point of sale, meaning that you can walk into any store and purchase whatever you uh, want to purchase in person and online using the point of sale that they merchants have. So I think this is one of the most important crypto projects out there. And we dive into how he built it. I really enjoyed the conversation and I hope you do as well. Bring you Tyler Spaulding. Well, uh, Tyler, we're officially live. Thank you for hopping on Around the Coin. I'm excited to dive in with you. Likewise. Um, yeah, looking forward to this. Yeah, we were chatting a few minutes ago at how much overlap we have between uh, Flex's focus on uh, point-of-sale merchants, uh, preventing fraud. I was My first startup was in point-of-sale, and then both of us dabbling in the uh, gift card world. Um, let's kick it off with Flexa. You know, you've been working on this project uh, that has a very long-term vision. I was reading up on some of the articles you wrote and interviews you've done with other folks. How do you describe uh, the initial concept for Flexa and where you are today? And then, you know, by contrast, where do you expect to be deep down the road? Oh, wow. Yeah, there's some good uh, ambitious uh, answers within that. So the, <laughs> I guess, yeah, the first part is... Um, yeah, the the longevity or the mission or like what Flexa will start to look like 
even from that perspective, we're already been doing this for more than four years. And we feel like we're almost still just getting started because of how long term the initiative we have and what this will start to look like in the future. So that's like a really big piece of it. And then also, uh, you mentioned the, you know, the point of sale and some of the other uh, prepaid experience and other things that, you know, me and the founders have done. Flexa really is a manifestation of all of that, of learning about things now over the course of, you know, more than 10 years of how does this work? How does this, didn't, how doesn't this work? Where's there actually economic value? Why will this actually make a difference? Why do people care about this? And, um, what's broken about the system and, and really understanding all those sort of deeper corners of how all this stuff works, finally putting that all together and say, we are going to do something about this and have a really big audacious, you know, goal to, to really solve. And so that said, uh, Flexa simply is just a new digital payment network. It allows any app to use any asset and just pay in store and online using that app and that asset. So you can open your phone and you have some apps on there, whatever apps they might be that have value. They could be loyalty apps. They could be payment apps. They could be banking apps. They could be crypto apps or crypto wallets, which we're really excited about. And you just take that wallet and you scan something at the store and then the payment would now work. And you could essentially use um, something like Bitcoin in a store in real time, instant payments no fraud to the user. It's literally just that easy of scanning something. And so Flexa facilitates all the, the software to integrate with all of the hardware point of sale, the software a merchant already has. There's nothing else new that a merchant needs to get. Um, and then we open up sort of that payments rail to uh, all these other apps. So it's going to be a permissionless SDK for people to be able to access. And there's apps using it now. Uh, we're actually going to be announcing quite a few more, uh, very, very soon. So it's going to, it's really open access. So, um, again, very ambitious as, uh, I sort of mentioned that, but yeah, yeah. In a nutshell, it's just an easy way to make payments. That's the, yeah, like the short way to describe it. Do you, do you feel like the initial, um, you know, there's multiple, I feel like in any business or building out a network like this, there's, there's like hills you climb. Do you view the first hill as being the integrations through closed APIs into the point of sale software systems like Micros or Aloha or one of the many other ones out there? Is that what you guys focused on for a significant period of time is building out those APIs or building yeah, into those APIs? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, that's going to be the massive part of our business um, because as you probably know, there's, there's hundreds of these, if not thousands mm-hmm. worldwide. And so not only is it um, integrating with the, the hardware, the software to be able to communicate with them and pass authorizations through that ultimately then connect to a merchant system. Then the like kind of the two, the dual edges of that, um, of <laughs> this hill, <laughs> sort of like simultaneous mountains that we're climbing is uh, not only those integrations, but doing it in a, in a compliant way. So there, there are hacks, so you can uh, use certain systems, but it doesn't mean that you can now all of a sudden transmit money around the world. And so each jurisdiction that you'll operate in is going to have their own potentially hundreds of years of uh, regulatory approach or how you need to conform or use within those systems. And even in the, the United States, there's there's 50 different ones. So uh, being you know, having money transmitter licenses in order to do all that. So it's really starting off the two initial pieces as 
all the integrations that we possibly can have. And we literally want all of them. And we do have quite a few to where we're over about 50% coverage than the US itself now currently. And then getting all of the other various regulatory approvals and licensing and 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 bonds and, and making sure we're actually operating in just the, literally the most compliant way possible. Because when it comes to this sort of an approach, you don't get another chance. You, you don't, you can't, we don't want to have fines. We don't want to do things the wrong way. We don't want to take shortcuts. And so again, having that very long-term vision from the beginning was really critical, right? We had to be all on board with that because we knew it was going to be millions of dollars and years and years for us to even start getting really going and have this ability now to start ramping this up the way that we now yeah. have, which were, and that's kind of the exciting thing is that once you do build all of this background and the foundation, um, it's software. So you can go from, you know, hundreds of thousands to millions to, you know, billions of transactions very, very quickly. Once you kind of have some of these ingredients in place, which we think we have most of them now. So, uh, so yeah, <laughs> it so, is so, uh, tiring, man, but it's, yeah, it's, no, I, it. I mean, I love it. It's, we think we're going for such a big goal that it's, and it's happening. So it's still like, really exciting. Yeah. I think of it as, uh, you know, somebody has to create that layer that actually touches the point of sale systems. Cause if I'm a t-shirt company in Manhattan beach, California, and I want to start accepting Bitcoin that integrates into my software system, it's going to be, okay, you want to buy this t-shirt, click, scan it. Now, now what happens? And if it, if it, that, like how that integration happens, uh, has to be the same on the consumer side. Tell me if you disagree with any of this, but I think it has to be the same on the consumer side at every location they go to, meaning that there has to be there or there likely would have to be a middle layer that talks to all the existing software system point of sale systems that are out there and then also talks to the number of different crypto wallets you could have presumably without any without complete indifference to you know if you want to use bitcoin or you know name your other crypto is that conceptually that's what you think of as the business model is creating um, that middle layer about half yeah so absolutely so what what you're describing is what flexa is right it's that Whenever you take your phone or let's say you use something like Apple Pay and you, you touch it to an RFID reader and it, and it makes a payment, what happens behind the scenes for the merchant to ultimately get paid? That's what we do. And so we're doing it now in a new, more cost-effective, fraud-free way. But then to the user, they don't care, right? They're just going to pay. That's going to be very easy. They have their wallet. They make a payment. Then stuff happens. And it works, right? That's all they're looking for. Um, so keeping that uniform experience in these other wallets and making it that simple as just a regular tap to pay or a scan to pay, that's totally the goal and that's what we've built. But also more importantly is really on the merchant side. So we already talked about how there's all these different hardware, software, all these other interfaces and things like that. Um, they might have a scanner. They might have a card terminal. They might have you know, flat, you know, those flat scanners that you see at like grocery stores and things like that. So there's already all that sort of stuff. But let's say you want to use something like Bitcoin, a small merchant could easily use their phone or an iPad or something else to say, I will accept Bitcoin natively. I think it's cool. I want this as payment. I want to support it. Um, and I can do that. Um, I can, you know, maybe get a Coinbase, a Gemini account or something like that. And you can just send crypto to me. It's going to be secure. I can exchange it for dollars and that could work for you. But now try to roll that out across, uh, 
you know, multi 10,000 location store with all different types of hardware employees that, you know, training your employees even try to think about that will yeah. cost you $10 million, right? And there's like, okay, well, exactly. Oh, okay. And then even the hardware, right? Okay. Now you've got another $100 million across all of your individual locations. And then how does this plug into the, all the operational software that you have and your accounting and, uh, the, all of that sort of back of house operational process has been set up for, you know, 50 to 100 years with a lot of these merchants. So the last thing they want to be able to do is try to disrupt all that by saying, Oh, we have this great new thing. It's going to be totally separate to anything you know and anything that you use, right? That's just such a non-starter. And it's like the number one reason why it's not more ubiquitous right now. Um, merchants just want to get easy payments, right? They're cheap and easy payments. So a lot of crypto payments are are very valuable from that perspective because they can eliminate fraud, they can be faster, they can have really low acceptance cost. So there has been a lot of interest for merchants to do a lot of this stuff, but it's almost impossible because at scale, integrating it in with your existing not only infrastructure but like people and operational infrastructure is is not trivial at all that that's a huge huge thing to overcome and so that's what flexa does we say hey we're going to make it as simple for you as just turning on a switch and everything will look the same we're going to get money or crypto into your accounts however you then want it it's all just going to flow the same and we're going to have to do all this heavy lifting over years to build all this infrastructure to make it just totally work with all the stuff that they have. And so it's, uh, yeah, that stuff's uh, very boring. And behind the scenes, you don't really see it. But that's really the infrastructure that will enable it to work. Yeah, yeah. And one thing you said that just, it just made it extremely not boring is that <laughs> you said that this is the thing that prevents merchants all over the country and world from accepting crypto. And that's mm-hmm. that that point right there makes it, obviously a big opportunity, but also incredibly not boring. <laughs> because yeah. if you are, if you are able to do this, uh, you know, really, if merchants are able to do this, if they're able to flip a switch and start uh, accepting Bitcoin or other cryptos very easily, then then the game changes really quickly. Um, what what do you think the uh, not what do you think? What is the change in the user experience from go swipe my milk at a you know countertop scanner put in the bag take out my credit card stick it in or swipe it do you view the yeah how how would i what would it be like um yeah so i mean in general it's it's very similar but now rather than having a physical card and an account and all these other things that you need to set up you literally just use you know in you know ideally for us is whatever apps you already have on your phone so let's say it's a crypto wallet you open it up you'd be able to tap a pay button or something it would create a qr code that you could then scan at the point of sale um or you would scan a qr code like on at the point of sale to our integration and it would just work and that's it yeah that's that's the right way to do it uh and then what's happening is that the point of sale system is it's saying open up new a new payment method that is authorized by Flexa. And then it's sending, it's reading the QR code, hitting a URL. Is that right? And then coming back with a response that's like thumbs up. 
to the merchant and that's what improves the payment? Uh, It can work that way, uh, but there's about like 50 different ways. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, because it depends on what interface they have and how the merchant wants to get paid, how authorization might work in their system. Um, If you're, you're probably familiar through uh, having a, you know, building a POS, the types of payments or how you communicate outbound to other things can vary. Um, But, yeah, that would be one of them. But it's basically just us telling the the point of sale, you have now been paid. We will reconcile after the fact. And then the crypto ultimately comes into Flexa, and then we can exchange it or pass it through to the merchant or whatever process needs to happen. Um, and that's where it also is. Um, Flexa does not do that ourselves, and we never will do it ourselves. Uh, we're not a liquidity provider. We're not an exchange. And so that's also a part of the network where we really emphasize the payments network aspect is that everywhere in between all the liquidity platforms we would use, um, we, we will have partnerships with them and, and we work very closely with them to really make sure we have the right liquidity, the right currencies in all these jurisdictions and support for all the currencies that we want to see like out there too. Yeah. Does it make sense to start with the U S given that we use just primarily one currency at point of sale? Um, man, that's a yes and no. I think yes, in that um, there's a lot of, let's say, access to these currencies. And, and especially as this gets interesting for banking apps where you could just pay, you know, through ACH or your fiat accounts, right? It'll work that way as well. Um, or loyalty apps, like think of airline apps or hotel apps where you have loyalty points and now you can just spend those in exactly the same way without having to go to some website and buying a discounted gift card that you're probably never going to use from a brand that you never really wanted anyway and all that, right? And they have to get it mailed to you or some digital code that you're never going to use and there's leftover value, all that stuff, right? So making that just simple to where you can open up the app and then you just scan something at the point of sale and you know, you're literally using your airlines app to pay for something, for instance. Um, there's a lot of that um, sort of opportunity um, but it hasn't quite caught on just yet of people using a lot of these instruments yet or their phone for payments as they do in, um, let's say all throughout Asia. So, you know, from India, from India all the way to like China, we've got like what 3 billion people using these payment apps, like this sort of experience. And, and I would say the number one reason why is they use generally central clearing methods to make the payments irreversible and very, very simple. So people are now using this to pay for everyday business services. They get, they pay all over the entire country, even in areas that like are not cities. You can literally pay without having cash, which is, which is crazy. It works that well and it's that simple. And people use those payment mechanisms without incentive. They don't necessarily need credit. They don't necessarily need a 2% cash back or they don't need this or they don't need. It just is a very easy medium of exchange. And so they use these apps. It's very part of woven into their fabric. It's very easy. They use them. That is not quite the same in the U.S. Um, in the U.S., we have these you know duopolies that have done a very, very good job of entrenching themselves so deep and making merchants pay for these incentives to where consumers really do sort of require this even of, oh, well, I'm not going to use this unless I get my 2% or I get my 1%. And I need incentive to be able to spend. And, you know, high value customers can do that and they can command that. And it's actually, without making it a, I mean, I could talk for a long time about this topic itself without getting too deep into it or philosophical. It's, 
it's really a shame too, because when you actually understand how that sausage is made and that how when we are spending right in in the Western world and, and certain people have these privileges and access to those cards, who's paying for it and how and how goods and services become more expensive and people that have much, much lower incomes live in perpetual debt funding these payment instruments. And we actually see it and you see how they're treated by these companies and how they're basically powering this economy. It's, I'll just say quite frankly, it's very sad. And so in seeing it and now having a chance to do something about that, like that's also something very motivating. Not that we're doing this as like, you know, social altruistic pioneers, but that's a huge part of it. And, and that's really exciting to be able to see them kind of break the mold that the economic mold that is, you know, very, very imbalanced. Are you talking about Visa and MasterCard's 3% fee on everything that they charge as mm-hmm. being baked into the prices at retail shops at stores? Oh, yeah, and so, and so if you, you're saying if you don't have a credit card, then you're paying the price that you're paying that extra 3% because mm-hmm. merchants have to mark things up to accommodate for that transaction. Yeah. And, and that's you, that is, that's what you're getting at. Yeah. That's a part. So that was one part that I was mentioning. And then the rest is let's say they charge a merchant uh 2% and then they're giving you 3%, right? There's another 1% missing there. And that comes from the 30% APR that all the people that aren't paying, um, that can't pay their bills are subsidizing. So it's basically coming from, People that can't afford credit that have been marketed into getting as much credit as they can have and living in perpetual debt, right? And never being able to get out from interest rates like this. And, and yeah, I'm not trying to, you know, make all sorts of moral judgments, but it still is the fact that a good sizable percentage comes from, that's where it comes from, right? It's got to be funded from somewhere. And if you actually dig a little deeper, um, I would encourage you or even like uh, viewers of this. There's a really, really good paper. Uh, it's like a it's actually a real white paper. It was by the uh, Kansas City Fed, and you can find it. It's very Googleable. It's a public document, and uh, the um, the Fed looks at how much that actually costs. So that sort of loss due to economic opportunity, due to you know not having money available to put in interest bearing accounts, and all this like sort of cost of payments and they actually dug a little deeper of like the social cost of payments and how much this actually does cost us as a society and they came up with a number that said all in and they this is a long paper this isn't just like a couple pages like they have charts and actual pretty convincing evidence of this they say it's uh their estimate two percent of the entire u.s gdp is lost basically due to the cost of literally just making a payment for people and to put that in perspective, the entire defense budget of the, the United States, the defense budget is about 3% of the GDP. Hmm. So that's literally how much we're talking of the cost to all of us collectively of just being able to like make payments to each other, which is completely ludicrous. So, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say, though, that if the alternative, you know, previous to say, if you roll back the clock a little bit, like to exchange value and have a medium of trust between people, you know, I, w- I want to purchase that water bottle from you. And so I'm going to give you something in exchange for that. That's going to be trusted other places. Like the amount of value that that provided to society over just the pure barter mm-hmm. system was like, that had to have been, I mean, orders of magnitude. It just it probably a catalyst for an explosive economic realization 
that we're now we're now converging at a point where software and now decentralized software makes this a two percent fee seem ridiculous. Uh, but I do think like if you were to roll back the clock and say, do you want to pay two percent of everything? You know, two percent of your earnings for the year to have this this trusted medium like people for sure you know it's it's something that had to have happened in the past but also has to we have to leave this behind and move on to the next thing just like everything Mm -hmm. else in technology yeah it's sort of evolving right like yeah um one like quick thing i'd even add to that is around like you know all the discussions right now of digital dollars and and the central central bank issued digital currencies and what those could look like and how they'll be issued and how people will use them and that's also something that's super, super important in that think about now economies that are only using cash, right? They're cash based, right? There's nothing wrong with cash. Cash is great. Um, there's a lot of value to that, although it is very expensive to transact. It's, it's risky to hold. There's all arguments on both sides. But the one thing that is not arguable is that if you primarily transact in cash, you can't buy things online. So. Now you're basically excluded from the world's largest economy. And if you look at it, you know, economies or, or countries or cities that are primarily cash based are generally not that great off economically when compared to the rest of the world. So now even that without evolving your payment methods and having digital payments and meals now use this more globally, you are so isolated and unfairly cut off from, you know, world economies. And if you don't want to be a part of that, that's, fine too but a lot of the you know a lot of people and then guess what they're probably paying a lot more money for those goods and services when they're isolated into the monopolies of how they're getting in of there might only be one store where you can buy something and it's cash and you can't participate or buy something on amazon because like you literally cannot use cash and so creating a digital cash equivalent is going to be something i'm very very interested in to see how that all evolves i'm I think it's inevitable it will happen. I'm very skeptical it will happen in the way that I think is going to be as beneficial as it can be, like uh, like privacy um, preserving, for instance. Uh, we'll see. I hope you mean uh, when you say you're you're interested to see how the digital cash equivalent rolls out. Do you mean specifically that the Fed, the Federal Reserve that prints the money in the U.S. is going to have a USD uh, pegged? currency that's officially designated by the government and that's what you're mm-hmm. it's really uh yeah it's pretty crazy right um you see see these marketing ugh, the marketing is great uh you see things of like oh go cashless or this is cashless we do not have that we literally as, as in the united states we do not have a cashless op- we do not have digital cash we, we do not have that at all you, you people try to market it that we do but that's what's often defined as narrow money it's money that's within, you know, the Visa, the MasterCard, the banking system, the ACH. I'm not saying this is bad by, by, by any means, but it's money that they actually have. It's their database. It's not really digital cash. You're just transacting with, you know, ledgers that they mean. Right. It's not actual digital cash. Your cash is physically, you hold it. And once I deposit it into a bank, it's like, okay, well, now that's gone. Now you just have a digital ledger and we'll transact with that between other entities, but it's not really digital cash. It's, a represents representation of cash in their in their system. That's, that's not yours anymore. It's their their system, and it, it yeah. works. Um, and again, I'm not saying that that's a altogether bad or terrible system, but 
we do not have a literal digital cash version. And if we did, I think that that could be very powerful uh, in empowering the people to where now you actually could transact in a cash-like manner without needing a bank account, without needing all these other accounts, without needing a, a, a card, right? Like, think about how you can become cashless in the United States, like even, even today, right? Um, you have to have a bank account, um, which automatically starts excluding people like below 18, let's say, because how do you get a bank account? Well, I need a driver's license or an ID. Well, okay, well, what if I don't need to drive a car and I don't want to drive a car? Okay, well, now I don't even have that. Uh, what if, you know, um, my parents are from somewhere that don't match up in your database of people you like to do business with? Well, now all of a sudden I can't even get into the system, um, to even have cashless opportunity. It's so crazy when you look at all the layers of how this is all built. And so, um, I think there is a really cool opportunity of what that can look like for digital cash. Um, I'm not as optimistic it'll get created in the way that it could uh but we'll see but in the meantime in long term maybe we have these other instruments um we have bitcoin we have zcash we have lots of other things that can be privacy convert uh preserving you know decentralized networks and maybe that actually serves as that use case for those sorts of assets being you know um using that as money maybe that is what will turn out we'll see in the last 10 years over 100 billion dollars worth of crypto has been lost or stolen specifically because of poor key management scams and hackers forget not your keys not your crypto software and hardware wallets have both the same vulnerability that a single private key can be lost hacked or simply just misplaced my new sponsor the zengo crypto wallet is a total game changer bringing wallet security to a whole new level you have to check out zengo an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which has, just until now, only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. So Zengo, most secure Web3 wallet, is the best place to keep your crypto, NFTs, and assets secured. It's also fully recoverable using their biometric recovery system, and it's also just beautiful. Get started at Zengo.com and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's Zengo.com, code ATC for $20 back on your purchase of $200 or more. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, it seems like like the Tether, USDCs, the stablecoins act as, when I hear you say cash, what I'm hearing is mm -hmm. uh, per permission, you know, it, it, who or control, right? Who controls the keys? Mm -hmm. If I hold the, the dollar in my hand, well, I'm, I'm literally physically controlling it. If I, if I have it online and if I'm not 
if somebody else can take it from me out of my wallet, then I, mm-hmm. then, it, you know, when you say the word cash, that mm-hmm. the cash is not there. So I think of if I had, say I had Tether or USDC in a wallet where I own the key, is that not digital cash? At least that would be pretty close, right? Close. It is close. So I'm very much a fan of those instruments, by the way. So like, I think it is very close. Um, and maybe that even does start getting to be a really nice approximation of where we can go. And then it also alleviates the burden of a government or even banks having to issue all this stuff and maintaining it. And maybe this is exactly what we could have, which could be very, very interesting. Um, but yeah, there's whitelists, um, you know, Tether and, and Circle. They maintain, you know, the keys to those contracts and they can freeze your funds. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to, so I don't, I don't try to say, right. no, no, but it's it a little different, right? So there is, you make a point, right? Cause like, if I own USDC, that's still like a ticket for the currency. Yeah. The, the currency is is literally d- dollars sitting in a you know federally licensed bank mm-hmm. that uh, you know, Tether or uh, Coinbase is maintaining. So if they just decided to move that, or the government came in and took it out of the, the government's account or the uh, bank's account, right? You're not you're not owning the actual value in and of itself. Um, yeah, that's a good point. The other, the other challenge that we'll see is just the privacy, right? That's another reason why they're not like that great yet. So let's say I have a an Ethereum account and your your address and you're sending me USDC. I'm an employee and I'm that's how I'm getting paid. And now I go to the store, I go to you and I use it to buy something. Well, now you know how much money I make and what my bank balance is. I'm like, that's not how this works. <laughs> if I pay you in a $5 bill, you have no idea how much money I have or where I'm getting my money. It's yeah. So it's still not there. And maybe there's other privacy version. And, and so this has nothing to do about doing bad stuff. This is just straight yeah. up. That's not functional. <laughs> I should not have to go buy a pack of gum and everyone knows how much money I make and how much money is in my bank. <laughs> that is not a good system. And that's how it works now. That's what Bitcoin is. That's what Ethereum is. Like they're publicly available networks. And that's cool and very still valuable for many things, but it's not quite where it needs to be to really make it this like really valuable transaction medium, I think, for commerce yet. But I do think it's happening. And I think it's exciting of what can what is getting put in place, but it's not quite there yet. Yeah. And when you set up uh, Flexa, is the, the organization, presumably it's a LLC or C-Corp that's creating the integration with the companies, the POS, POSs, and getting the money licenses in the different states in the U.S. It, that company is unaffiliated with AMP. I'd love to learn more about AMP and how that's structured. Is that the a currency that <laughs> and expressing your frustration with you know accessing my full salary is the purpose of amp to interact with the flexa network um, or um, any wallet can build on top of it uh yes in a in in a somewhat novel way um so yeah one thing on the privacy angle too is that when you use flexa at least all the payments go to like an omnibus account or there'll be different accounts to where it's still not you know, totally there's a full privacy, but at least it's not going to like a merchant address or something like that. So like no one will know what you're spending on or who, where you're spending. So again, there's still some strong element of privacy preservation, which we really want inherent to the network. So we do have that, which is helpful. Um, and then, uh, as I was talking about that, what was the main question again? I told you. Oh, I am. Uh, yeah, no, no, all good. All that's good. right. That's right. I was going to ask somebody else too. Um, so, uh, 
AMP actually only has one purpose. Um, uh, it's a collateral token. So it literally serves as collateral for the entire system behind the scenes of how this all works. So one thing I would want to be clear is that a merchant or a user or people that are sort of using all of this system don't even need to know this exists. They don't care that it exists. They don't need to buy it. They don't need to hold it. They don't need to see it. They don't even literally need anything at all. So I would say everything I just talked about so far, even up to this point, if you're a merchant, you know, a user, any of this stuff, that's all 100% true. And we can almost stop the conversation and everything is good, <laughs> right? And so now when you get into the guts though, of how some of this can work and why now and what technologies actually power this and what's unique about it, uh, AMP actually is the main ingredient. And so now if we're going to have this open network that allows any app to now make payments into Flexa, right? Because we're not trusting you. We're not setting up, you know, business relationship deals or contracts. We say, Hey, you have an app. You want to start using Flexa? You can. And your users can now start sending funds into Flexa. And we're going to make all these payments instantly in a store, right? Instantly, right? No waiting, nothing else like that. And so to do that, there would be fraud on the grandest scale possible because people would basically not send the transactions and we would just be authorizing all these payments in real time and people would just not send the tokens to us and the wallets would just not do it eventually, right? And and so the way we stop that is for a wallet to permissionlessly access the, the network, they have to pledge collateral behind the scenes into a smart contract and that's what the AMP token serves as. So let's say there's... um $100,000 worth of AMP collateral of the tokens in a smart contract. And for Wallet X, then Flexa, the network would say, oh, Wallet X, I'll let all of your users spend whatever assets they have um, of unconfirmed transactions up to $100,000. And I'll just let them all through. And if you cheat, I'm going to take the collateral and I'll liquidate the collateral and I'll make sure everything then gets whole. So now if a wallet ends up cheating, it's really just defeating its own stake that's there. And it's 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 really similar to a proof of stake validator um, in a proof of stake network, if anyone's familiar with that, um, to where there's, you know, if you behave inappropriately, you will get slashed to make it economically not viable for you to do that. So everyone ends up behaving um, honestly in the game theory of this, and then it all works out. Uh, and then one of the other really important pieces is that all of the fees that Flexa collects, um, you know, the smaller fees that we do charge merchants, we use to buy the AMP token, which is a fixed supply token. And that gets distributed back to the people providing the collateral in the first place. So what all that just means is if you provide the collateral, you actually earn all the fees in the network. So there's a lot of incentive now. Yeah, there's economic incentive to act honestly. You get the utility of being able to spend assets now in real time automatically. And then the third part is that you make all of the fees. So you're like literally becoming the, you know, you're providing the collateral, you're doing the work, you're putting up the risk, you're going to earn all the fees in the network, which is now we've seen very compelling also for wallets and just the growth of the network. And, and that was also very deliberate of having a token very specialized to do this because it now provides this deeper economic incentive of people now using the network for a very long time and they have lots of incentive to continue building on it um and rightfully so right they're earning you know the work on the work that they have to do and the risk that they have to take uh, I, as a quick um parsing out how the uh 
how the incentives get passed on to the stakeholders. When a wallet sends um, a request to approve a transaction and it's unconfirmed, the wallet has to have a smart contract with, in your case, $100,000 or the amount of the transa- the amount of the transaction volume or less to make sure that you know the wallet doesn't retract the transaction. When that money gets sent, it goes from the wallet to where would it go to exactly? Oh, it goes to a, a Flexa exchange account. So it, it literally just goes to one of our exchanges. And then if the merchant wants Bitcoin, we could just give them Bitcoin. But if they want dollars, we would exchange it for dollars and then route that through the banking system accordingly. And it shows up in a merchant's bank just like any other payment. Right. Okay. And then if I'm staking the 100K, mm-hmm. uh, am I staking that? Would the would the wallet be staking it or individuals would stake it? And uh, that's it's the cool it. thing. Um, it's permissionless. So... The wallets will do it, but actually anyone can do it. So you, it's not exclusionary. So the wallets will do it and they are doing it because they're selfishly wanting to earn the fees that they're generating. But anyone in the world, if I just see, let's say the Gemini wallet, because Gemini is now using Flexa. So if you have the Gemini app, you can use all the assets in Gemini and literally pay in stores like this literally today. Um, you can literally earn all the fees or a share of all the fees that the Gemini app is producing anyone in the world can just go stake amp into that contract that's designated for Gemini. And now all of a sudden you're participating exactly the same way as an individual. Yep. And as, as me who I'm staking it on behalf of the Gemini wallet, Mm -hmm. I'm effectively banking on the fact that Gemini is not going to exactly fuck over other people. Because if Gemini, Gemini could, right. That's absolutely true. And so will they, Probably not, right? They're, Probably not. You know, regular, they're insured and all that, right? So, but technically they could. And so that's where like, it's really cool because that's where like the risk profiles will start to get developed over if you want to stake certain apps. Maybe there are certain apps that are just not really worth the risk and they're going to have lower collateral. Maybe they're going to have higher APYs, but you know, it's not maybe worth it. Whereas some of these other like very established and safe wallets are going to do a lot more volume. They're going to have a lot of users and it's inherently going to be these sort of like risk-free rates that you can see develop within the economy, which will be pretty neat. So um, that's something yeah. uh, I studied a lot um, in the AMP white paper, if anyone cares to to look at. Um, I actually cover an entire section around how the dynamics of that can start to unfold and what that means for like volatility. And and I kind of dig a little too deep into it, but it was really fun. Um, putting No, that's amazing. It, I mean, it's effectively taking the transaction fee from Visa MasterCard, which the va- the value they're providing is trust, right? When I swipe the card, the merchant knows that they're going to get paid. Exactly. Um, and in exchange for that trust, Visa MasterCard take, you know, two and a half, three percent, which is a huge amount, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, when the uh, when AMP is staked and the, the wallet sends the transaction through, does the fee that the staker it's not the um yeah is that, yeah, is that what it's called totally right. yeah sure. st- staker yeah. is called is that coming from the consumer the consumer is paying a slightly higher uh, rate no no it's coming uh from the merchant as it does currently with the other right. networks but it's just a much lower number but so when i mentioned uh how a payment will come in right so let's say it's ten dollars and uh actually makes a hundred because the number is easier to to uh to visualize it was a hundred dollars we would actually only pay the merchant $99 and then there's a dollar left over. And then that dollar 
will be used to buy AMP and then get sent back to the contract. And so, yeah, right now it's a fairly manual process um, how we're doing that. Um, and there's lots of reasons for it. Um, it's because we don't want to use the best technology for it. Um, you know, what chains or what contracts will all be used to make that work very well. Um, and then there's another privacy piece that gets layered in that's also very challenging, which is if you're a merchant, do you want everyone in the world to know how much people are spending at your stores using these networks and what assets they are? Because you'll be able to tell based on the rates or you'll be able to guess based on how much money is basically flowing into those contracts. So that's another issue and actually much more of a competitive issue because merchants don't, no one knows how much money Home Depot is making in its stores based on visa revenues, right? Like that would not be a good system either. Just like how we talked about, I don't want you to see my bank account, like merchants, that's hugely competitive data. They can't use a payment network where not all this data is revealed and guessable, like where people are spending and how much and all this. So we're, um, we're the easy way to do it, not easy, but uh, a standard way of just use like a zero knowledge contract, which are now actually getting pretty prevalent. Um, there's quite a few that are very compelling. that are already getting now in real use now where we can now send the funds through that. It can actually then publish all of those funds into these contracts. And now you'd be able to know that your number or your result is correct without knowing the total number that's in the pool, which is pretty cool. So, so yeah, and we're not going to invent that. Uh, mm -hmm. We are not mathematicians on a zero knowledge, pushing the envelope on zero knowledge contracts, but lots of people are, and we'll start using the ones that are the best. And so that's really been our approach for um, Flexa in general too, which has been a little maybe atypical, uh, at least from expectations, especially within like crypto worlds of do it now, do it now, do it now, use this fully decentralized. You need to have this. Why don't you have this? Why aren't you? It's like, okay, well, we have, again, 10-year horizon. <laughs> We're trying to do something massive. What are we going to uniquely do really, really well, right? We're going to do them. We're going to make these integrations. We're going to get this in place. And is it very important that we have the private transactions? Yes. Is it very important that we actually have funds getting distributed back into these contracts so merchants, those amounts are revealed? Yes, absolutely. But we can just centralize that stuff a little bit now and build it all out and make it all working. And then also... Um, I don't want to paint a target on us or, or anything else, but like, we've not ever lost any money yet. Um, none of our contracts have been hacked. We haven't lost any funds. There hasn't been any of those other issues or vulnerabilities or exploits because we are methodically approaching this as a real tried and true massive financial services business where it's not about experimenting with some of these new technologies right away for the sake of doing it. So it's what's really valuable. Let's build and, 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 you know, we've had all these other audits, all the costs we've had, all the tests that we've had. And the, you know, we have our flexa capacity contracts and the staking contracts, and we're very proud of those. Um, but yeah, taking certain centralized measures as prudent, um, while still maintaining a decentralized nature to where even with us, if flexa goes away, um, we have fail safe mechanisms in the contract where people can still get all their funds back out without us doing anything, right? So we can't even stop it. So, but it's reasonable. And we put a lot of time thinking about like, what really makes sense? What gets this adoption? What gets this really uh, big and, and creating the volume and getting this to really work? And then as it's valuable, 
Now adding in all the other cool stuff and adding in all the other things that will be table stakes, but you don't need a lot of stuff right out of the box. And sometimes people think that you do, and they spend a lot of time, money, and effort building stuff that either doesn't work or gets compromised or, you know, quite frankly, is not the magic ingredient to really make this stuff work. So, yeah, I agree with you on the observation that there is a strong uh, cultural encouragement. <laughs> it's kind of like in high school, everyone's pushing for a certain, you know, style is of jeans or something. It's like everyone says you have to be decentralized and everything. And I think that comes out of a an acknowledgement over what makes crypto special and what makes decentralized protocols and applications special is the decentralized nature of it. And so y- you immediately, as humans, we attach onto that and they say, are you, are you part of that club? Are you in the completely decentralized? Cause that's how we measure, you know, what projects are cool or not, uh, which is kind of to lose track of the traditional way to build startups. I mean, if you think about it, the startup yeah. mentality as pioneered by like Paul Graham and YC Mm-hmm. is do things that don't scale like mm-hmm. you know, it's not it's not go out and build a hyperscale company as quickly as possible uh, mm-hmm. because they recognized over many painful experiences that if you think about scale right off the bat you build you know as engineers you build it for scale and you have 25 users yeah it's just like mm-hmm. that ends in a graveyard and so i think the same lesson probably hasn't quite been learned yet on the crypto side <laughs> side is like yeah, man, you could. Yeah, if you wanted to, let it rip and make it completely decentralized. But there's a lot of big. And the other thing too is that it's for me, it's a lot of responsibility. So that is going into the mantra you mentioned, right? The what you know, Facebook set up a go fast and break things, right? Like I appreciate that, right? As a as an actual real engineer before, um, now more on the business side, like I prototyping, moving things quickly, getting software out there, just shipping stuff that's still broken. I. That is the name of the game, and that is what we should do, and that is literally how companies can grow. Okay, but now if you're doing that with people's money, uh, that's a different game now. Uh, so it doesn't mean that everything needs to be perfect. You can't always just have everything perfect, but let's say you could release a fully decentralized contract or something and just put a limit on it then. I see this stuff on Twitter, which I think is like just the most brazen, irresponsible approaches with people that, you know, like to talk their game and everything else of, Hey, I just released this other thing. Hey, it's, you know, uh, financial risk, you know, your responsibility, do your research. It's like, okay, well, how about you not let a hundred million dollars go into that contract? You could build it and let's test it all out. How about you limit it to like $10,000 for a little while <laughs> and maybe up it as people are using it? How about you just, you can throttle things, right? Don't just let the whole thing. Yeah. Right. And that's what often happens. And then that becomes a target before it's actually fully tested. And that to me is like just callously irresponsible uh, and yeah. individuals yeah. It's, it's on them, right? Like don't, you can build that stuff. You don't need to go right up <laughs> like right away. Like think about these things. This is people's money. And even if they are being, you know, you could say it's their responsibility. They're the ones that are putting the money. Yeah, sure. But I don't want to enable that. And right. And also, yeah, it's not it's not really how the world works today when it when it comes to regulation the government is way more likely to come in with a strong and overbearing hand when they feel like companies have no throttles in place for reasonable assumptions on how people make financial decisions like i was in, i was talking to a guy a couple of days ago and he is working on this business that uh connects credit unions with uh lending apis mm. so like you can go to you know you want to borrow money you can go to credit union well, when it comes to borrowing money, 
there is a huge, there's a lot of legal considerations and what regulations allow, but there's also like, you don't want to make any loan to anyone who you think won't pay it back or can't pay it back. And in the crypto world, it's like that hasn't quite, the mentality is like, oh, individuals are going to decide. And I mean, dude, I'm all for like libertarian <laughs> mindset when it comes to this. But I do recognize that if you if you just let it rip on that mentality, <laughs> then people will make mistakes and they'll complain to who? They'll complain to the guys with guns down the, that run, you know, the Capitol building and the police and <laughs> judicial brands will get involved and now we'll have terrible rules. So it's like, I think it's important, you know, it's I, I, I think you articulate it well, but I just encourage you to keep pushing back on people to understand the reality of the world we live in and not not uh, pretend like it's some utopia where the government can't get involved and, you know, ruin things for a while. And, and just even support, right? It's not what it's about, right? We don't want to build all this stuff, just lose people's money. Like, that's not, yeah. right? no one's trying yeah. to do that. And so you really should just have that, you know, internal mindset of like, okay, do I actually have other people's best interests in this? Sure, I can make money. I'm still going to do the same thing. But like having just responsible limits and, and you can go from there. Like, you don't, I'm not trying to say, hey, limit your business or limit, like, I mean, I'm trying to shoot for, we're trying to shoot for trillions of dollars in what we're doing. Like, we're we're going as absolutely big as we can, but we have to take the various steps unique to yeah. us to get there. And it's the same thing. If you want to build a permissionless bridge between Bitcoin and Ethereum, right, trying to compete with wrapped Bitcoin, right, which is a custodial service. If you want to build a permissionless bridge, how about you don't? make it unlimited day one <laughs> and let everyone just throw a whole bunch of Bitcoin into a contract that might just be lost forever. Why don't you just start it off and test it with like 10 for a while? <laughs> right. And like, yeah, you know, it's just, just, you know, throwing it out there for people to think about, like, these are just very responsible things that you can do. And I'm not, and to say that I am not accusing by any means of people acting intentionally or not testing it and not doing other diligence. So I'm not saying that, but there's other constraints you could add in that I think add another layer of legitimacy and then people, you know, working together on this stuff rather than then losing a bunch of money and say, well, I told you it was beta, mm -hmm. right? I put the warning on the side. It was beta. Like, yeah. I don't know. You might lose all your money. It's like, well, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like that little, you know, the checkbox you sign when you scroll in the, you know, you buy an iPhone and says, you accept <laughs> these 35 pages of terms of service. I, you know, it's your responsibility to read them all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how did you decide? One thing you said earlier, I, I was curious about is how did you decide to have a fix or why did you decide to have a fixed cap on the amp? And then, um, how do you decide some of these parameters? Like how, how much to issue or if there was other sort of, um, parameters you had to choose in, in setting that up yeah um so the um so one piece is that all of this was way more thoroughly engineered and thought through and strategized than probably anyone will ever care about or give credit to <laughs> uh both my own nature as you probably hear me you know talking about various things i tend to be very over analytical of how we approach various things and looking at it from various facets as well as the rest of the team and so there's been a lot of time, effort, and otherwise. Not that everything's always right, but it is very much well thought through. Um, and so the two specific points, one around just like the total amount of tokens, uh, it really depended on um, ease of use around the expected market cap of like what the tokens could look like versus uh, to get the right utility out of them versus like other projects, what was out there. 
people don't like thinking of um, 0.000015 of something that's very hard to conceptualize like what that actually means. And they also don't like thinking in hundreds or thousands of something. So we tried to pick something out where based on the use and what could then be reasonable, having enough supply, we are going to have things in, you know, $1, $10, $20, things that are much more manageable. So we didn't want to be on the either side of the spectrum. And so we found that given where it was at and how much utility we think we can get and like the market cap based on payments and all these other sort of things that settled into a number that we, that we chose. And then, you know, maybe if it goes up in value way beyond that, there would be ways to, you know, maybe have interfaces or something that can make the units more palatable for people to see or understand like a stock split or something. Um, I mean, we couldn't literally do that. We can't control the contract. We can't update it or anything like that, but, visually or the interface maybe there's things you could do and hopefully i'll be another you know um problem for the future to even look at but at least that's <laughs> the you know the first thing is that and that's why like bitcoin is really challenging right like off the top of your head you have no idea conceptually what 0.0023 bitcoin is worth right like outside of just a unit and for us and some people say, oh, Bitcoin, that's the unit. It's like, okay, fair. But with us, we're designating it in capacity for spending in the local currency. So its currency equivalent is very important to us. So we couldn't have very small fractions. We didn't want 10,000 unit tokens, right? That's just, it's not like easier to understand. And it also then feels very unapproachable for people. And we've really built this for lots and lots of people to participate as well as large organizations. Um and then, it almost feels it almost feels not to cut you off, but it feels a little bit like in the U.S. because we we export the world's largest currency and sort of the standard of world currency, and we deal in single digit uh, denominators like one USD. Like if you're if you're sending money to Argentina, or the Philippines, you might be or other countries, you might they might think of like a pair of shoes might just cost you know twenty seven thousand exactly yeah. or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and uh, and like they seem to be fine with it. Is that do you? Yeah, I would say for sure it's a local bias um, of us Mm -hmm. and our market of of perceiving it that way. So I would definitely admit that. Um, And it's, but it also is easier to start with that unit of account and then make even the math easier, right? So if you're in the Philippines or you're in Mexico and you have to multiply a certain amount, like it's a lot easier to start there than actually have to retrograde back into two other calculations of of other uh, ratios. So, We'll see, but at least it, here's manageable there. And then um, the fixed supply, I guess, was the other part of the question. I mean, that was the most, it was kind of easiest of in order for to get buy-in and long-term incentive, we don't want it to be diluted. So if you have collateral in a wallet, every new wallet that joins has to acquire collateral. So the pool actually starts getting smaller and smaller of the available collateral. And that also is by design because that's good economic incentive for you to keep your collateral locked and get the payment utility. It would be terrible if you were built a wallet and you're getting moderate activity and the value of your collateral is going down on a per capita basis. That would be terrible. Like that's not, it's like, I don't want to use the system anymore. Right. Sounds like my bank account. Yeah. Like right. The like the more dollars they print, the less. Yeah. They right. So it's like, forget about token price. Like I'm not even talking about speculation or any of that stuff. It's literally just pure utility of if I bought into a system, to use this system. And then five years later, my use has depreciated tremendously. Like that is not a usable system to me. 
Whereas if the utility goes up and the value becomes higher, well, oh, that's great. This is something I will invest in from an actual utility perspective and not because I'm speculating on this of, oh, I think it's going to be worth more money. It's, no, I actually feel comfortable in buying into and having ownership of this functionality. And now I can, you know, ride this longer knowing that I'm actually my kind of part of the network remains the same. So if the network does very well and payments continue to thrive in the system, well, hey, I'm in a really great situation rather than some opaque emission scheme or printing more tokens and infinite amount of tokens, right? It just makes everyone not feel like they know the game. And, you know, especially when you look at like proof of stake networks, right? They often talk about like, oh yeah, you, you know, you stake the network and then you get, um, the new coins, the new emission, like you get the inflation. Well, it's like the opposite is also true where if you're not participating, you're losing money. So it's kind of like a tax on everyone, right? So if you're not actively doing those things, you're actually losing money in the system because you're not getting the inflation component. And then it's like kind of disproportionately rewarded to people, um, which sucks. So we did not want that to happen. We wanted the people that are using the system in from the beginning, using this, finding the utility, right, to have that long-term benefit as well. And so that's, you really can only achieve that with a fixed supply. Um, and also sometimes people would say, oh, well, you could the burn the tokens, right? So rather than actually distributing them back as like rewards and, and purchasing them, why don't you just burn them? That's way better. I was like, well, that also doesn't align with economic incentives too. And you've actually seen this. I won't name certain projects, but there's been a few large projects where they burned like half of the supply, right? And does that mean that now the token that I used to have is now worth to someone else double what I just paid for it? Like, no, right? It doesn't matter. It just, it doesn't instantly change the value of anything. It might change your perspective or perception of it. But it doesn't immediately impact the the price or the value or the utility of something. So I actually think that's kind of the and it's uh when you're burning tokens, it doesn't actually reward the person that's necessarily uh creating the burn, right? So imagine if if I were to spend something on Flexa and AMP tokens were burned, everyone sort of indirectly in the slightest way might feel that in some way, like the slightest, slightest way. But that's really not what you're going for. What I want you to do is is stake your tokens, you provide the risk, and you are getting the reward. Not everyone else, right? I mean, the network can can grow in ways, but it's your activity will generate the benefit, right? And this is, I'm not trying to get around or talk about securities, utilities, and all these sorts. It's just literally the facts of how this works way better <laughs> and what makes mm. this more sustainable and having true utility in a network. It's not about trying to, fit a framework it's literally what provides the best economic outcome the most secure outcome the safest outcome and literally just the most enriching outcome is is that i'm going to do the work i'm going to get the reward and that's great and so that's the way that we really put that together too rather than some of the other models that people really advertise and they promote but i just don't really think are as effective um yeah and just my opinion from what i've seen i haven't seen them be as effective as a model like this personally Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Yeah. And what, uh, where are you now? Or where is Flexa now in terms of, uh, however you measure traction, progress, uh, money raised or wallets? Yeah. Um, you got Gemini's big one. Yeah. So there'll be, uh, quite a few more that we'll be officially announcing. Um, and then we're got, uh, we're going to doing quite a few things where wallets will be able to start doing very, very fast, uh, onto the network. It's really that the main, me- the main metrics are just around the network growth. So it'll be around volume and we'll start when the technology allows that to be sort of shared most responsibly, uh, and as the numbers get really nice and impressive as they're starting to, we'll start sharing that a lot more. So that's going to be like kind of a high level metric, but currently it's, uh, a lot of the merchants and the wallets and the, even the currency supported. So we're at over a hundred currencies that we support now or tokens on the networks. So that was a big push. We're announcing a bunch more wallets and then now, uh, quite a few more very large national merchants um that'll be upcoming and so it's nice yeah it's sort of like people are you know often saying oh what are the the updates or what are you doing it's like well we're doing the exact same thing uh we did (laughs) like four years ago yeah you know that's doing those things building all the scaffolding to make it happen and we've been announcing more payment service providers and other tokens and things like that and there's there's things happening for sure but it's really just keep growing both sides of the network bigger and bigger and bigger and then hopefully before we know it a lot of these wallets on your phone you'll just be able to go spend nice and yeah. anywhere and it'll just yeah it's awesome i like the business a lot because it involves it's certainly a, a business model innovation, but also you're, you have to do a lot of grunt work in all of the money licenses, <laughs> inter- international considerations and all the POS integrations that just, I mean, if I'm a, a founder, I'm like, Oh God, I don't, <laughs> you don't, do it. You don't do it. <laughs> let these guys do that. And just it's do not quite frankly, it is literally for founding teams like us that have done it multiple times before. We know what we're getting into. We know the slog it's going to be. We've been beaten up over decades of doing this before. We know that, like, don't do it. <laughs> I would like, yeah. there are so many other really exciting businesses to do. This one is really like all the stars aligning to have the opportunity to do something really, really massive that appeals to us. And then we know all those pieces and then we can just, you know, sustain another 10 years of, having to climb up yeah. three steps up and two steps down and three steps up and just keep going. And, totally. Yeah. <clears throat> and how, how did you, uh, how did you do the, or how did you decide to choreograph the funding aspect of it? You have AMP, um, Flex is an independent company. Is it like typical startup, like raise money, VC, give out equity and Flexo? No, or is it actually not at all. Um, so that's been, uh, very, very strong and, and, and I'm so excited where it's ended up, but it was very hard starting off in that 
we did not want to be like a lot of other projects. And there are some, you know, marquee product. Well, we have this entity and then we have this network and we'll sell you these tokens and this is our labs. And this is where the, like, we don't want to do any of that. Um, so literally, and you can see in that model, right? All the fees that Flexa earns are going into the token. So the, all the value essentially that Flexa has generated is in the token. So it really is a true token network to where AMP has all the value of what's like generated. Um, so we wanted to be true to that. And we think the only way that, and, and that was hard, especially with some of the entities that we've ultimately had participate in the network. Um, they've only bought tokens. So every single person that has financial interest is really through, um, the token. Um, we've really designed this where we don't think the entity will be worth very much money, right? Like that's not really where the value will accrue. Like, there will have to be an entity that, you know, continues to push that aspect of the business forward and that'll be there. But it's really about um, all the value in the token. So the people now in the network, um, there's been a few what I would call VCs, but they were pretty early. Um, and we don't, it's mainly people that are using the network. So we've been really selective about that as, as it's kind of gotten off the ground, um, had Anyone that's in, whether it's a merchant, a, a service provider, someone in a wallet, um, someone using Flexa, those are the people that the majority of the people that own the tokens currently. And that's the way that we'd really like it to be. And that's not that others can't participate. Like I said, it's totally open. And we, you know, people want to participate in stake tokens. They absolutely can buy them on, you know, public exchanges and things. But like for Flexa and how we've distributed tokens, uh, even now through upcoming grants and other sales, it's literally been predominantly through people that are using the network itself, which uh, yeah. builds the real network, right? These are the people that want the thing. They're not buying it because they think that the tokens are going to go up a lot in value. They're buying it because they literally want <laughs> this to exist and they want the utility of it. And they're literally buying the tokens to participate and use the thing that we have. Yeah, that's a that's a good uh, litmus test. And to pay your team on Flexa, you would sell the tokens that Flexa as a company owns yeah, periodically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's very clean. It's a good way to do it. And presumably, somebody could uh, like I'm picturing. All right, Tyler, uh, we got the CEO of uh, Visa on the line. They want to offer you five billion dollars for the Flexa company <laughs> ten years from now. Is that is that possible to consider really because right there to buy all the tokens so you know they're welcome to do that like anyone could do it right we can't stop you from i mean they wouldn't be able to buy all of them but but couldn't they buy the couldn't they buy the flexa corporation that has all the money licenses and integrates all the contracts Uh, with the companies i mean we'll see here's the thing though um this is where you get the incentives also is that for us and founders and participants we have lots of tokens that are valuable and that's where our value is is generated so if we were to sell like an entity or something it would be short selling everything else and all the opportunity that we might have and i suppose there's maybe a a really odd hybrid where it could still kind of come together so i don't want to say like never 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 but it's probably never Uh, it just doesn't that's not really what it was built and the way that this is built is in a different business model. It's literally directly in competition with everything that's there. It's really not compatible with them. So this was honestly never built as an acquirable business. Um, this was built as a decentralized payment network that now people, you know, all over the world will own these tokens and it can go on 
forever. And it's really not designed that way from day one. So yeah, I don't think it can be yeah. acquired. <laughs> it just it doesn't, it's not set up that way. It's not really built that way very much by design because then all this ends up being is a new payments network. That's like all of the others that maybe uses some different technology and, you know, maybe that can succeed, but that's really, really hard. You're going against a incumbent. You're competing on a very level playing field with them having a thousand times or a hundred thousand times more money than you. That's not, I don't want to fight that. I want to go in a totally unlevel playing field with a business model. That's, somewhat radical even where fundamentally it's very boring and looks all the same, but how it literally works is fundamentally very different and isn't compatible with those, you know, you're decentralizing risk and payment transactions now, rather than having one entity make these calls and charging lots of money for all this. It's yeah, it's sort of designed that way from the beginning to be very, very different. I, I can't in this instant foresee an acquisition of any kind that would ever make sense that, People could ever, I just honestly can't. And I'm not even saying that of out of like arrogance or, oh, this is going to be so great. I just, it just wasn't designed that way. I, I don't think it's possible. <laughs> so mm. it's surely not at all what we are going for. And if we ever got to a state where there was an offer that was even remotely compelling, I can probably say that the alternative would be far more compelling. <laughs> if this could, yeah. If this gets anywhere near the radar of some, you know, centralized entity saying, you know, any amount of money and it's that means there's something way bigger here than totally. we're even talking about. So so again, it's sort of like the the context of sure, there's always like some edge case that you can try to discuss yeah. and, and you know, uh, uh kind of um like talk fictitiously about right but i can't see it i i, I don't think believably it would ever make sense good don't do it <laughs> i'm sold man congrats on everything uh what an awesome project i really appreciate your time to get to understand how it all works and get to know you better anything else you want to throw out there any people you follow or blogs or uh no i'd say i'd say more like general um uh I've been uh, myself in crypto for uh, more than 11 years. Um, so I've been using Bitcoin for since then. And the enthusiasm, the excitement, everything you can do, there's speculation, there's investment, there's build all this other stuff. It really comes from doing things. <laughs> so don't just like buy tokens and think DAOs are cool or, or that like vote on them, like go in and do it and go through the mechanics and build certain things. And if you're not an engineer, Play with all of the stuff. You can literally use Flexa today, right? You can literally take any of these tokens, download these apps and use this stuff. Like use it and then figure out where you want to participate in a lot of this stuff. And there are so many opportunities for that. And it's, it's crazy to me that 90% is really stuck on the, hey, I'm just going to buy things in a lottery and they're going to sit in my account and the number goes up and the number goes down. Like, sure, I get that that's going to be a part of this, but there's almost like so much more waiting for you <laughs> that people really overlook. And then even more, if people are watching this and you know, you're more traditional startup people, like there's lots of stuff that is a scam and there are Ponzi's and there's other things, almost, almost just the same as any other startup and any other technologies, but don't just write things off, right? Don't just say, Oh, this is a scam or this doesn't work. Like dig into some of the technology and you'll find that there are quite a number of things that are going to be very, very powerful that'll change how a lot of these other, 
you know, other technologies and businesses work. And, you know, we're so early. We're in like the very beginning still. Like this is just, it seems really big to kind of us because we're in it, but it is just getting started. There's so much opportunity. So if people are, you know, listening to this for that inspiration or anything else, it's like, hey, dig in deep, dig into a few that you really like, get into the governance, get into the software, figure out what it is. How can people are really open to, you'd be very surprised how you can get connected to founders and people really doing stuff. Not the people that are shilling or the people that have their blog or they'll, that, that's different. Go into Discord and talk. To, they'll answer you. They'll talk to you. They'll tell you how to do things. They'll give you access. Oh, man, it's, yeah, wide, wide. It's exciting. It's an exciting time. <laughs> like we're just, I think you're, you're, you're glowing with this excitement of realizing. <laughs> yeah. It's like we're, you know, human beings just discovered a new gold mine and it's not physical gold inside a mountain, but it's a opportunity to reconstruct how we communicate and exchange with each other in a global wor world. Yeah. And that's just like the coolest thing in my lifetime. <laughs> so keep rocking, man. Congrats on everything. And I uh, hope you have it back on someday. All right. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Later, Tyler. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Have you ever felt that your life has no meaning? Do you wake up in the morning dreading the day ahead? Do you feel lost? I'm Tanner Campbell, host of the podcast Practical Stoicism. Every Saturday morning, I explore the ancient texts of Stoicism and derive from them practical takeaways that anyone can implement to live a more contented and fulfilling life. Search your podcast listening app of choice for Practical Stoicism and join me each week to explore Stoicism practically and discover how it can help you live better. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.